everyone, welcome to Urbanus podcast. I'm the host Donatos Urbanus. I'm joined by Ritis Vishnauskas. Hey Ritis, probably it's a good time to be a basketball uh, fan right now, right now, right? We have two game fives in the EuroLeague playoffs. We have uh, all these dramas in the NBA playoffs. We have Kevin Durant in Europe watching the EuroLeague game and possibly coming to Piraeus Peace and Friendship uh, Stadium. Also, we have John Holland barking on live TV <laughs> in amazing Euro Cup playoff series. I mean, it's, it's just incredible, right? Uh, John Holland's interview has to be the single best TV interview ever done in European basketball broadcasting history. That's for sure. It, it should make a case for even for the NBA halftime. I think interviews. it should be even more viral than it is. Okay, in the NBA, you have some personalities, let's say, and um, Greg Popovich in his uh, usual one-word interviews and other coaches being funny uh, players. There are a lot of players that joke in the press conferences, but if we're talking about Europe, usually it doesn't matter whether it's an American player or a European player. When it's a halftime interview, what you're going to get? We need to improve our defense. Uh, rebounding was not really good enough. I think we need to hustle a little bit more in the second half. The physicality wasn't really there. We started pretty good. Then we kind of stopped in the second quarter. And now you have this. <laughs> Player barking at you. John Holland. I, I cannot imagine what that reporter was feeling, actually. You start the regular halftime <laughs> interview and somebody starts barking at you. If I'm a casual basketball fan in Europe, I don't even care about John Holland's game. Instantly, he's one of my favorite players. Exactly. When you do something like this on live television, man, people have to love you. I mean, John Holland, he's already a legend. It doesn't matter what he achieves in his career. He is already a legend. Even though he's actually they, playing they great achieving playoffs. quite a lot. Yeah. With Bursa Sport, they're he already He saved their in the season semis. in Belgrade, making the yeah. game-tying game, game tying shot at the buzzer. Uh, and then against uh, Cedevita Olympia, he was uh, super important. And actually, that video, at least on our basketnews.com Twitter account, it went... Way more viral than KD's appearance in Monaco. <laughs> so, no, John, John Holland is a star. Because they're not just dogs, they're pit bulls. They're pit bulls. <laughs> not any dogs, pit bulls. Actually, the game itself, I mean, the interview is crazy, but the game, yes. Jacob Pollen making that game winner, everybody goes crazy. They're celebrating. Then there's a review. The clock expired. The shot doesn't count. Bursa Sport players start celebrating. It was such an amazing game. Uh, yeah, I was talking last week about how this knockout format is not really fair and I don't really appreciate it. But we, when you get dramas like this, yeah, you have to say that um, this game was really magic. Yeah, and what's even more magic that uh, Bursa and Andorra Morobank now have a 50% of possibility of making the EuroLeague uh, for the next year, Andorra, which is crazy. Andorra, in the meantime, are uh, <laughs> battling relegation in, in <laughs> Liga Andesa. I think in, in history, it's never happened like that. We remember Second division when team we had Gran Canaria the being very, very down in the standings in the ACB and at the same time competing in the EuroLeague. Yeah. There were some situations. But I mean, but now, a yeah. team that is actually relegated and plays in the second division at the same time competing in the EuroLeague never happened. Uh, 
the only thing close I can imagine was Olympiakos yeah. when they quit uh, the Greek championship and they only played in the EuroLeague. But that's yeah. a different case. Political decision. So it's, it's a, it's and a, they were shareholders. It's a different case, right? And if Andorra makes it. <laughs> I'm no, not, I want John I'm Holland really making sure it. How, I mean, I, I, want, it. I want Bursa playing in the EuroLeague and watching John Holland's post-game interview. But man, John Holland can make it to the EuroLeague with Bursa or without Bursa. I mean, he was EuroLeague <sighs> he, material even before. Yeah, but he is getting old, you know. Uh, isn't, he, isn't he like 33? Uh, we were supposed to see him in the EuroLeague this season anyway. He signed, he signed with Unix. With Unix right? He's 33. And he will be. But he will turn thirty-four. No, he's, he's a pit bull. It doesn't matter. The, what, the age doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, really short, exciting. Short as, as, as you said, it's really exciting to follow all this basketball action. It's the only frustration is that there's not enough time. Twenty-four hours is probably not enough to experience everything. At the same time, having some quality sleep and quality time with your friends. Mm. Mm, because honestly, right now I would be more than happy to just uh, stay behind closed doors and watch everything. Everything that's happening, uh, as I said, the NBA, the second round already started. We had Draymond Green tossing Brandon Clark on the floor, being ejected. Doing a podcast doing a, straight doing after a, the game. Doing some circus in, in, in Memphis and FedEx Forum, then yeah, leaving uh the arena coming back already from the shower to celebrate with his teammates this close victory they got yeah it's great it's honestly great and i i really enjoy also being back to work uh as the last podcast we had you here yeah yeah now i'm back and i'm happy to I, i mean i went home by train uh we were in vilnius at around 9 p.m at 9.45, it was already Oli Monaco, so I had to rush from the train station to our studio. Mm. At 9.30, I was already there. So it's not like I came back from vacation, had a night off, and went to work the yeah. other day. I went to work straight from the train station. But it was a great game, of course, Olympiacos Monaco, so I, I really don't... I'm, I'm not complaining. But in your case... You didn't plan another trip no, no, no. to Barcelona, right? My <laughs> wife neither. My wife neither. Because when I when I told her that now in two days, uh, you know, these last couple of weeks were pretty intense. I went to Barca, then to Munich, and, you know, all combined, I was out uh, of, of town, like, for 10 days or even more. And, you know, we have five-month uh, baby, newborn, and it's not easy to handle yeah. him uh, if you're alone for my wife. So... She burst in tears when she realized that I will have to go for game five in Barca. The the, the same day I came back, I he, she didn't know, she didn't understand when when probably she saw somewhere that series were tied, but she didn't real, realize that I will have to go for the game five. Can we so. say that she was the biggest Barca fan at the moment when when they were playing game? She was just the four? biggest uh, game four fan, you know. <laughs> even it went uh, Bayern's or Barca's way. So, but then after yeah, on on Thursday on so Thursday night. She was Barca's fan. It's really crazy schedule for you. You're leaving tomorrow, tomorrow morning. morning on tomorrow a game morning. day yeah, and leaving the next day. I mean, bo- both flights at six o'clock in the morning, which mm. means I have to go to the airport at four in the morning. So it's it's crazy. So I'm I'm just happy. How that was it in Munich? Are people excited at all about the Euroleague playoffs? They had two sold outs. Uh, Marco Pesic said that after the game, oh, after the game four, when they won it, uh, he said that it was the greatest atmosphere he ever experienced in the Audi Dome. You know, I've been around Europe for a while, and 
I were in better uh, atmospheres, let's say, but for, you know, Munich is different. German people, they're, they're more polite. They're not so, they don't have that aggressive approach on watching games. They like beer a lot. And uh, in Lithuania, for example, we cannot, uh, during COVID probably, we couldn't, we weren't able to get some beer, you know, in the stands. There, I don't know what are the rules in Germany. Somebody said that uh, you can drink beer since you're 16. I saw these kids, you know, drinking beer and enjoying basketball. So it was weird uh, at the experience for Maybe me. Maybe it was non-alcoholic be beer. Probably, probably. Don't, don't ju judge yeah. them. Just like in the media room. We also had yeah. beer, but mostly alcohol-free. Yeah. So it was interesting experience. Whole whole German experience was was great. Uh, I had a lot of time to talk with Barnes people. Either it was uh, Marco Pesic or Andrea Trinchieri. They're doing some great job over there as a I wouldn't say small market team. I would I would say low budget team. They have a different approach, and probably we will even discuss about it uh, later. So very short preview for the EuroCup uh, semifinals. We won't uh, talk about it, although we will have a great game of Valencia and Virtus Bologna on Wednesday. Uh, two solid contenders to play in the EuroLeague. They probably would be playoff uh, contenders in the EuroLeague. And then Moraban Kandora and Bursa, two very unexpected teams to make the semifinals. They will uh, uh, battle on Tuesday. But I have to say that Virtus Bologna, I know they... They're continuing their journey. They're already in the semifinals, but uh, I'm, a little bit I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed with their quality. Yeah, they're Actually, not convincing with the, at with all. the players that they have, I expect them to play a lot better. <laughs> it, it sometimes just seems that they don't have a clear game plan. They're just so dependent on shooting and obviously the individual quality that they have, but those teams that they faced in, in the knockout so far... These wins should have been far easier than they were. And they Both had really a lot of problems against, uh, against Ulm. Against Ulm, they had a lot of problems, but even mm. against Letkabelis, it wasn't as easy as, yeah. as we thought it would yeah. be. So, um, I don't know. Right now, Virtus against Valencia, I wouldn't say that Virtus are such clear no, favorites. No. I think Valencia have a really good chance of making it to the final. Yeah. And Valencia, it's their competition, obviously. Yeah, yeah. They, they won the EuroCup for three times already? Or twice? That's for sure. But and once they lost the final to Malaga, I mean, if Valencia is in the competition, <laughs> it's an easy guess that they will be at least in the semis. And four usually, Euro usually, Cup usually during the final. They're winning EuroCup like every second year. Yeah. Every two years. Yeah. Uh... Anyway, let's start with the EuroLeague playoffs. Uh, we will go through series uh, with game fives at first. And for Monaco Olympiakos uh, series and those two games we saw in, in Monaco, I just wanted to ask uh, how much Kevin Durant helped uh, Monaco to keep the series alive to force game five. Well, first of all, uh, we have to say some good words for the EuroLeague organization that this time they learned their lesson from last year. We're going to have both games on yeah. different days. Of course, it still clashes with the EuroCup games, which is sad because we yes. would really like to enjoy yes. this EuroCup, but they're playing exactly at the same time. I, I agree, but, but what happened last year was mm -hmm. the worst scenario. This time, I can accept that. On Tuesday, you have... Bayern and Barca on Wednesday, you have Monaco, Oli, it's great. Now, about KD, um, it was fun seeing him so excited about the EuroLeague game, and it was probably the the best game he could get for 
Euroleague to, I mean, to present themselves to such mm -hmm. a legendary player like Kevin Durant. I don't know if it's the first game of Euroleague he ever saw in his life or not. Live, you mean, probably, yeah. In general, uh -huh. I don't know. If K I think he, if he, he watched some games. games. Maybe, maybe, yeah. okay. But yeah, experiencing live, a playoff game, an elimination game for Monaco. His uh, good friend Mike James is there. He was obviously cheering for Monaco and Mike. And everything was there. Um, some heroic performances, great uh, hustle on the court. Great plays, great dunks by Dante Play, Hall. I think that he will suggest uh, signing Dante Hall for, for, for Brooklyn. Or Will Thomas for one-year contract, <laughs> because Will Thomas is a warrior. I mean, Will Thomas is such an underrated player. He's just playoff material. I don't know if there is a coach that wouldn't want to have Will Thomas on his team. But I, I would sign him for series. the playoffs only. Actually. For the playoffs, his regular season was. But you know the greatest. Not so solid. The greatest players, the the true exactly. veterans, they know when to step up, and exactly. you can see from Will Thomas that he has a lot of fight in in him, and. I don't have such information, but I'm pretty sure he's one of the most vocal guys in the locker room. He's not very vocal, but he says something when it's really needed and, yeah. it, and it's very important. Usually, it leads by an example. Yeah. But yeah, when it you know when it matters, he can say something. So Kevin was really excited. You saw all these reactions to Mike James and one, and yeah. and how he reacted when Lucas didn't make the last shot that could have been a game winner. How he reacted, I don't remember that one. He was just celebrating, man. Ah, he was okay. throwing punches. And, and Because although he was actually clapping for both teams, one of my friends, uh, Kostas Melais from Greece, he, yeah. he was in, in attendance and he saw that he was clapping both uh, ways because a he was enjoying Appreciating good basketball, Yeah, exactly. Right? Because it was a good competitive the, fight. Uh, he got to see the legendary Greek players, first of all, Kostas Lucas and his super smart basketball, how calm he is in the crucial moments. Uh, I know he made a turnover in one of the most important possessions at the end, but then he was hitting some very important shots. Mm. He was leading the team. Mustafa Fall was destroying the basket yeah. in the beginning with some, some crazy plays. defensive performances at the same time. Uh, you saw players giving it all on the court. Mm. Dwayne Bacon, if we're talking about players that could get signed by NBA teams, I mean, Dwayne Bacon in ISO situations. Costas Papanicolaou really had to suffer. Costas Papanicolaou was doing a good job on defense, but it's just the case of good defense, better offense, because Dwayne Bacon in ISO, sometimes he's just unstoppable. And that last bucket... Uh, you're expecting Mike James to make the last mm. play, right? But Mike was kind of cold. He uh, was one from one ten. One from ten, three-pointers, although I'm not looking at the numbers because there were some shots at the s uh -huh. last second of the quarter from half court. Uh, of course, it ruins yeah. your stats, but it doesn't... doesn't it seemed like uh, Mike wanted to give an impression for KD shooting these logo three-pointers. No, I mean, he took only one, and when, when he takes a shot... With no, I'm just kidding, with, of course. The, Although I think that expiring. in defense, that was the mo biggest effort I've saw in a Probably. while from my and, and he saved himself from foul trouble, yeah. which was a problem in, 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 in Game, game 3. three. Uh, so, still, you're expecting that Mike James has to make the last shot. Is Instead, it's Dwayne Bacon with the ball in his hands. He's feeling so confident. He's just uh, inviting Papa Nicolau to uh, dance. And dribble, 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 and moves, bam, yeah. he makes it. Then again... They have the ball, they can close the game, and Dwayne Bacon, I think he rushes the last shot of one f one leg to fade away. He didn't need to do that. There was like 14 or 15 seconds still left, and Oli had the final word, 
they tried to use the mismatch in the paint. The ball was sent to Mustafa Fall. Mike James yeah. was underneath him, but Fall. It was kind of an awkward yeah. pass to him. He couldn't make a layup, so he had to pass it back to his Lucas, and then it was a coin flip, as I say. So really, for Kevin Durant, it should have been a great experience, and I really hope that Kevin uh, visits uh, the Peace and Friendship Stadium for yeah. the Game 5. What is interesting, that at least from what I heard, that he enjoyed that game in Monaco so much, and of course, now he has no plans uh, in May, which is not very usual for him, but anyway, he enjoyed that game in Monaco so much that he really seriously considers uh, the possibility to go to Athens to watch that game, and it would be an amazing thing for the EuroLeague because probably that's the best promotion you can get and that's that's the best game you can bring the NBA star to. Uh, we will have this sold-out crowd in, in Peace and Friendship Stadium with 12,000 crazy fans of Olympiacos. I mean, we saw what they did in the beginning of the playoffs and that was the best example of what the EuroLeague playoffs is really all about. So you will bring Kevin Durant in the middle of the court, you know, surrounded by these amazing fans in a decisive game five, yeah. where it's actually very hard to predict, you know, who will win that game. So it's 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 great. It's really great. I don't know if it's that hard to predict, honestly. You still go with Olympiacos for sure, right? I have to go with them. They've lost at home only twice this season and already once in this series. I cannot underestimate Monaco they're not afraid of anything, but uh, watching all the games in the series, in most of them, probably in all of them, mm -hmm. at some point Olympiacos have a double-digit lead. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes they blow it, sometimes they don't, but the point is, usually they are in control, and Monaco is chasing them and trying to catch them. Uh, game two is the only different story, but mm -hmm. if we watch and remember both games uh, that happened in Monaco, the game three and game four. The first half is actually the same. Yeah. Olympiacos are going to the halftime with a four-point lead. Mike James is getting points from the foul line, not so much from his jump shots because yeah. these are difficult contested shots. Yeah, Volkop is doing an amazing Volkop job. Volkop and, and all the others are also. Yeah. I, I saw some switches with Fall and Fall actually Fall is great on stopping switching. Mike James yeah. after a switch. So, it was kind of similar. The difference was the third quarter. In game three, Olympiacos broke the game in the third quarter. They got mm. a 15-point lead. And after Bacon's unsportsmanlike foul, I really thought it was over. But Monaco somehow found a way back with Paris Lee hitting some shots in the fourth quarter. Again, Will Thomas making big plays. The second chance points, I think this is where Orly suffered, um, giving away offensive rebounds to Donta Hall, Will Thomas, and all these other guys. And in the game four, yeah, third quarter was different. Monaco got the lead. Monaco got some big plays from Will Thomas. But in the end, both games were really close. The difference was in the third game, Mike James fouled out. There were some not so smart decisions from Monaco's side, sending mm. Vezenkov and, and Lucas and Walkup to the line with Westerman missing a left-handed layup that could have changed the yeah, game and yeah. saved the game and, and they lose. Game four, they managed to find a way with Dwayne Bacon hitting a shot, winning the game. But still, Olympiacos were really close. Mm -hmm. At some point, after Slukas hitting one of his three-pointers, you kind of felt that this game is again coming to them. They have more championship experience. They have these great players with strong characters, and they should take it. But Monaco saved themselves. They saved the series. And really... Something that is extraordinary happened in this game. Mike James played 
39 minutes and 42 seconds. Mm -hmm. Very rarely you see a EuroLeague game where the star player is not getting substituted at all. He played a full game. And you cannot say he was saving himself. No, no. Self. He was playing like it's the last game yeah, of the season. That game. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what it was. But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Dwayne Bacon, uh, Bacon was super important in this uh, series so far. He's in the regular season, okay, he was making shots, but he was not so efficient. In the playoffs, I see him being more efficient, although nothing really changes. He's just making his own shots and doing it at great percentages of like making 53% of two-pointers and 45 of three-pointers, averaging almost 16 points per game in 26 minutes. But what you mentioned in the beginning, uh, saying that Will, Will Thomas, probably he's an X-factor of uh, this series. I mean... The way he was hustling in all game, the way he was getting all these offensive rebounds, making important shots, and especially three points in the decisive moments of the game, uh, and especially in Monaco, he was just perfect, averaging 15.5 points and six rebounds uh, per game with all these blocks, steals. He even did this chase down uh, block on Shaq McKissick. I mean, mm. who could ever have thought that Will Thomas can still fly that high? No, he, no, he, he really can. I and don't think it was about flying high. It was just about timing oh it was still hard i but mean it was uh, it was I, a fast break play yeah i know it was hard but it's not like will thomas got really high in the air it was just timing because Shaq yeah, it's, got the it's, ball like it's, this and is reading the situation the matter of reading the situation put the ball out of his hands it was it was a great play obvi obviously uh and dwayne bacon he's playing some minutes in the fourth position actually yeah that's uh, what happened in game two that they made the switch of playing four guards uh, against olympiakos and but he usually he matches up with Vezenkov. The matchup against Vezenkov is not good for him. Vezenkov is not a post-up player, but in that last... In defense, you mean? Yes, yes, of yeah. course, in defense. No, he was great. Because, because Vezenkov is not a post-up player. But in the last game, Vezenkov had two easy post-ups against uh, Bacon that he finished with uh, left-handed sem semi-hook shots. And uh, you can see why Will Thomas is so important and he has to play 33, 34 mm -hmm. minutes. Uh, I don't know, Brock Maudem in this series... He's just playing sporadic mm, minutes, non -factor, like yeah. one or two minutes per game. Uh, Daniel Andrusic was a guy that stepped up in in the uh, in game two. Now at home, he just couldn't hit anything. He was wide open on so many occasions, he just couldn't hit any of his shots. He's a 45, 44% mm. three-point shooter, and they really need him to make those shots because Monaco actually, in both games at home, struggled with three-point shooting, even mm. though they created a lot of opportunities. Mike James was throwing the ball to his teammates in good positions. They just couldn't make those shots. And Olympiacos, on the other side, they suffered from missed free throws. They missed so many free throws in both games. Yeah, yeah, which is not which so usual. It's, it's really unusual. Yeah. Even Mustafa Fall, you cannot say he's a bad free yeah. throw shooter. He's close to like 70%. They, they were making like 77% uh, of free throws this year, and now they're missing almost 10 every game that's very unusual and that's very important for them yeah. because we saw these games ending by like two points Fall missed the free throws John Charles missed free throws walk up like e three even, in a row even walk ups Lucas and Dorsey missed free throws again Dorsey what happened with him somebody Tell Dorsey to forget this Josh Childress look because it doesn't bring success to Olympiacos so that's many for open sure. looks so many that's open sure. looks uh, maybe they they they, they could have closed the series if Tyler Dorsey was hitting his shots. He was wide open. And in moments, it looked like it's not Dorsey, it's mm -hmm. McKissick shooting the yeah, ball. he was one from seven in game because four. 
Monaco was willing to give McKissick free pointers. Yeah, they're risking on defense. Uh, very you often, you see. I mean, when foul is in the paint, the help comes from the weak side, yeah. and they're leaving Walkup or or McKissick in the corner, yeah, and they're living with those shots. Mm -hmm. Even Papa Nicolaou in some in some occasions, and he was making shots, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning of the game four. But Dorsey. If you look at the numbers, he's not a guy you want to leave open. That's true. He's not a guy you want to see shooting the ball. And he was wide open all the time and couldn't make anything. Only one three-pointer. It's very different when you compare, let's say, Mike James is one from 10. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. these are difficult shots, most of them. Very difficult shots. He has to work for them. And in general, I don't care about his percentages. Mike James played a hell of a game in, in, in game four. He was yeah, leading the team. He was way better than in game three because uh, not only he avoid these uh, fouls, uh, although I think that he got two quick fouls. I just don't remember now in game three or four. But in game three, two in quick game fouls. Three. And then he and fouled, then he out, fouled in out in the end with some stupid foul. Gambling. In gambling on defense. But, you know, that's usually these, these gamble situations, they don't end they don't work. very well. Yeah. Uh, when you're gambling like this, you're going for a steal. You're going like into passing. It's like against 75, really. I would say it's like 10 against 90 more. Yeah. It's like some fake effort. Usually you're going to be punished. If it's not a foul... Then it's you're, just, shot you're just behind your yeah. opponent and he's he's he has the opportunity for a fast break. But the difference I saw in game four was that Mike James was way better in sharing the ball. Uh, he was finding his open uh, teammates on, on, on the corners, for example. In game three, he was trying to do everything by himself. Although he had like a, a lot of assists. I just don't remember eight assists in which game. Uh, eight assists in fourth game, I think. In fourth game, okay. Uh, no, he actually made eight assists in game three as well. And in game four, he had four, but what's, you know, that's okay. That's what it is about stats. It doesn't show the real picture because in game four, he was way better in distributing uh, the ball, yeah, just he's, like uh, he's Bacon. Dishing assists to his teammates. <laughs> There's no such term in basketball like expected assist. But if you look at the opportunities Mike James creates no, in, in game four, double okay, teams, it's, triple it's, teams, he has four assists only. But so many wide open shots mm. uh, created for his teammates. If those go in, you easily have eight or ten assists. And Olympiakos throughout the series, uh, Thomas Walkup, it starts from him, but the other guys as well, they're doing a good job on defense against Mike James. Mm. They're not allowing him to go to his right hand a lot. Now, another task for them, on top of that, limit his free throws. He's making all of them. And that's too much. If Mike James is having ten or eight free throws, in a game, it's too much. Mm. You cannot foul Mike James on a jump shot. It's happening too often. Mm. And I no, think it's easy to say, but he I always know. tries to use the advantage. <laughs> yeah. Everything is easy to yeah, say yeah. for me when I'm sitting here yeah. and I don't have to be <laughs> on that court. Exactly. Everything is easy, but those are the things you yeah. need to point out to, your, to your team if you're which, the coach. You know, leads to the final results. Yes. And yeah, what I wanted to add about Olympiacos. Oh, by the way, we're talking about game five right now, but... If I remember well, usually when you end up in a game ejected, at least in Lithuania, at least in FIBA competitions, I thought that it was like the automatical suspension for the following game, no? If it's like a clear sent off, not like one technical foul and the second one. What you're leaning to? That Dwayne Bacon highlight situation oh. with Kostas Papanikolaou. Okay. I was really mad. The choke? He took the guy on his neck and threw them down on the floor and he got technical foul or no it was unsportsmanlike foul technical foul was to cost us and which uh, was sportsmanlike to Dwayne what the hell was that all about 
But anyway, he got unsportsmanlike foul for grabbing somebody on his neck, throwing down, and it was very aggressive. Mm. And you know, it was a bad, bad play. I don't, I don't. And know then about we, that and on the other end, we saw Lucas getting some stupid unsportsmanlike foul, against just trying Paris Lee. against Paris Lee. Yeah. That was about nothing. So I was really surprised. And for example, if that rule applies, I, I tried to check on Google uh, what's the situation with the Euroleague if you're mm. suspended for the following game or not, but. If Bacon was ejected in game three, I mean, maybe we wouldn't be even talking about game five. I'm not so sure if you get that one game suspension, honestly. It's not... It's At not, least in Lithuania, that's it's, how it goes. It's not a red yeah. card in football, but yeah, maybe. Um, anyways, uh, Alfa Diallo is missing, a very important player from Monaco. Yeah. We saw him with the cap. It says GOAT when Kevin <laughs> Durant a, visited. I don't know. That's a statement for Kevin Durant? It has to be something. Maybe he's a huge LeBron James fan and he just wanted to show off in front of Kevin. I don't know. But he's missing this uh, series, missing very important games. Olympiacos, they're missing Hassan Martin. And let's let's not say that it's, it's, it's yeah. not important. It's very important. Hassan Martin is a great backup center for switch all defense. It's, he's amazing. And he's obviously better than Livio Jean-Charles, although Jean-Charles has his moments. Mm. But uh, we saw that in one game, Fowl had to play like 34 minutes. Mm. Bartzokas, I think he kind of hesitates whether to trust John Charles for more minutes or not. And if he had Hassan Martin healthy, there would be no problems with the rotations at all uh, at the center position. So the same goes for Monaco, obviously, because Alpha Diallo is sort of a glue guy that does a lot of things for this team on defense and uh, on offense as well. So both teams are missing important players, uh, which is why Sasha Djordjevic is starting games with Jakuba Autara for his defensive presence, to make some fouls, to be physical, to play eight or nine solid minutes uh, defensively. Let's go with Bayern Barcelona series. So, okay, our conclusion. Uh, Olympiacos in game five. Oli should take it at home. They should use the home court advantage, but I expect a good game. I hope that Monaco will manage to find ways to stay close and They're make it fighters. An, an, an we have to recognize game. them as the fighters. They were they stepped down up by from the regular digits. season. Because you know, when I watched them in the regular season, they they were using their quality, their talent, uh, they ma- made the playoffs, but I had some doubts in my head whether they have mm-hmm. this extra spice going in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. All these guys, they're realizing that playoffs demands more from you and everybody's stepping up, yeah. even the way Bacon for example, I was criticizing his decision making in some regular season games. He's so focused right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, way uh, more focused when he as was. As Mike before. James said on, on the TV interview, we talked with Wayne and we said that if we're going down, we're going we're gonna go down with a fight. Mm-hmm. And you can see that fight. Yeah, I appreciate fighting. everything they're doing. And I appreciate not only Monaco players stepping up, Thomas Walkup, we didn't mention this. In the regular season, what were his numbers? Shooting I think that he was making around 11% of three-pointers, something like that. Even lower? Yeah, that's a fact. Now he's playing the way he was playing for Sharas in, in, in Jalgiris. In game three, he was the MVP. He was the best player of the game. He he makes a good case for being MVP of the series, both trying to contain Mike James and really providing good uh, numbers offensively. I will just check quickly his averages in the regular season, which was 55 mm. 
5.4 points per game on 23% of three-point shooting. Yeah. <laughs> and now in the playoffs, he's finally making those shots. His average yes. is 9.8 on 39% of three-point shooting. And also assists. He's a creator. Yeah, he's making uh, four assists per game, yes. which is even more, more than Costas Lucas. And no, he's containing my James on the other end. You could have a case for him being the series MVP, but for me, it's still all about Lucas. I mean, Costas Lucas is as close to a point guard as you mm -hmm. can get in Europe. Mm -hmm. I'm not comparing him to Chris Paul, but really, Lucas is one of those classical um, European point guards that just run the show and, and you trust them in the final moments. When he released the ball for the last shot, I really thought it's going to go in. It, Costas Lucas made so many clutch shots in Olympiacos mm -hmm. history. We just don't remember them because they're being shadowed by Vasilis Panoulis making even more clutch yes. shots. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and Printez is also being a part of it. Yeah, and Mike James is averaging 16 points in the series on 40% two-point and 29% three-point shooting, dishing out yeah. uh, 4.8 assists and making 2.3 turnovers. So still, the conclusion is that Olympiakos should make it to the final four, um, but... That but just respect for Monaco. Yeah, yeah, As Mike yeah. James tweeted, it was his only tweet about the series. It's only fair that this goes to game five because these are two great teams fighting each other. That was an amazing tweet, really. But yeah. yeah. Very, very good point of him. I just think that it's the matter of handling the pressure for Olympiakos. And I've heard that uh, Barzokas is doing everything, you know, to cool his players down because... Just as you said, they have they controlled mostly all of these games. They were always uh, having this upper hand then. You know, they're playing at home with great, great fans behind. They lost two games over there only. They're playing solid all-around basketball. So they have all the qualities to uh, to close the series on uh, in, in, in winning this. Okay, so now I'm going to let you talk a little bit more because I have, I really I have to be honest, Bayern... Uh, um, Barca, I didn't see the last game, the mm. game four. And it's uh, I, I was thinking about watching the uh, replay of the game, but when I saw 59-52 scoreline, I thought to myself... Yeah, that was nah, the man, lowest scoring yearly game ever. Okay, they tied their lowest scoring yearly game ever. I mean, Barcelona, that was the lowest scoring playoff game for them uh, in the yearly history. But really, personally, to be honest, for me, it's pretty hard to say anything interesting except from that i mean if barcelona goes in their full speed and their full focus bayern more or less they don't have a lot of chances to compete they compete because they're fighters they never surrender but i mean barca there have advantages in every position talent wise depth wise uh, energy wise because they're having so so many good players and they can uh, save some energy in the acb for example but still win games on solid uh, margins but it's just as uh, andrea trinquera said that he's never saw so inconsistent series with all four games being, let's say, so radical, the average margin of the series so far is like 10 points. Uh, teams are winning by average of uh, more than 10 points. And both in game two, both in game four, Barca was just off. And I just can repeat what Chavez is repeating all the time. They were not uh, playing smart, both offensively or defensively. Uh, they were all hustled by uh, Bayern. And when they were missing some good shots, Bayern, they were making uh, tough shots. So 
it's it's really it's really simple. But this is the situation where we just have to give uh, credit for Bayern and what they were doing throughout this series. Making the playoffs was already overachievement. Making uh, winning one game in Barca was already exceeding all the expectations. Forcing the series to game five. Wow. This is this is this is some some serious shit actually yeah I'm going to be strict as I said I didn't see the game so I might sound a little bit stupid but in my eyes finishing on 52 points with Kalates Mirotic Exum and so much talent is actually a criminal offense against basketball yeah, that's true Brandon Davis all these I mean how on earth can you end up with 52 points I appreciate a lot what Andrea Trinkieri is doing and his genius game plan and everything, but this team is just too talented to finish any game of basketball with 52 points. 9 from 23 in 2-point shooting and 5 from 29 in 3-point shooting. It's terrible. Numbers. It's terrible. They shouldn't be in the position they are right now, but they had a Game 5 last year. They couldn't close the series in St. Petersburg as well, and... It's a, they were in the same situation in the ACB playoffs against Tenerife and Badalona. I, I really forgot that. But you're still expecting that they're going to get a relatively easy win at home and, and go to the Final Four. It really doesn't matter how you reach the Final Four. Yeah. What matters is you're there. So they should do it, but I'm surprised that the series is coming back to Barcelona. I, I saw Game 3, for example. Mm. Barca won it. Bayern was still competing in that game, but Barca was better from the yeah, from yeah. the beginning. Uh, but I'm so impressed with Nick Whaler, Bob. My God, what a job he's doing defensively. And right now he's running the show, actually, as a point guard because they don't have a lot of options without without Walden, without uh, Hilliard. And Whaler, Bob, is just playing some amazing basketball. There are two important things to mention. Wailer, but by the way, the last game he scored twelve points. He had eight rebounds, four assists, uh, only in twenty-one minutes. All-around performance, and he was like playing not even his full speed. It seemed like the Trinquiere was saving him for the not only the Sunday's uh, German BBL game, but for the uh, game five. But there are two things to mention. The best thing about Let's see, the best thing for Bayern is that they are nearing the extension with Nick Wailer, Bob, and we see him as the primary ball handler let's say, quite by a coincidence, because if they had Walden healthy, Hiller, Hiller, it would be different. But uh, from what I've heard, Bayern look at him as their future main point guard, which is very intriguing uh, to watch uh, how he will use uh, this opportunity. Of course, it's, it's funny because uh, when he was playing in Ludwigsburg, he was playing as a power forward and competing as, mm -hmm. uh, against Danilo Bartel, what was uh, crazy. In, in NCAA and in college, he was a point guard, so it took some time uh, for him to adjust to this European basketball, and it's really not easy to be the point guard from coach uh, for coach like Andrea Trinchieri. Uh, and I like him because he's the biggest defensive uh, impact maker in the EuroLeague, and at the same time, with some time, he will for, for sure improve with his... Uh, shot making and at the same time creating for others the best thing is that he is not a uh, score first uh, guy he doesn't look for ways to score he wants to uh, involve others into the offense so i think that he will be okay with uh, these point guard duties the, if you can add if you i mean so, so far we've known him as an elite stopper yeah with limited offensive talents let's mm. say and now we're seeing his playmaking abilities so it's a Good time for Bayern to sign a contract extension because, yeah. uh, well, 
some club clubs might not look at him uh, because of the stats. I mean, he's an elite defender, but usually the yeah. biggest clubs in Europe they want he's not aggressive. They yeah, want two way players. Score. Yeah. And but now when he's adding all these numbers and and playmaking, a lot of teams should look at him thinking, "Wow." For example, what if I was Maccabi he GM, he has such a huge potential. I was, I, I would really like to have Bob next to Wilbekin if I continue with Wilbekin. If Bayern have a project for him to be the point guard, I want him to stay there. I want yeah. to see his full potential, what he's capable of. So next season should be very important for him, and this series just shows what he can do on the court. The next thing is probably very painful for Jalgiris fans because from what I've heard. Jalgiris was basically, it was okay. It was season two thousand nineteen and twenty, and for summer twenty twenty, Jalgiris was basically choosing between him and Steve Asturia. <laughs> so Jesus Christ! I like the reaction. <laughs> I saw that pain in your eyes, in your soul, actually. And they end up signing Asturia very early in the season. So Bab went to Munich. He spent there two quality years. He improved a lot, and now he is their future main point guard. It's like team. drafting Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. That's a very <laughs> good comparison. <laughs> Maybe a different ceiling, but very good comparison. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, that's that's the saddest part of uh, Wilder's Bab uh, success story in Bayern. Oh my God, I, I'm, I'm just looking at these um, stat sheets. Trinkieri is. Dragging the series to game five with Shishko, Jedovic, Obst, Radosevic playing an important role. These are Schilling role, these coming are, off the bench in the second quarter, scoring five. These four are points. role players. These are role players. Some of them are even bench players. Wow! And as Vladimir Lucic said, these are two of the best European coaches facing each other. We should agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's completely true. Uh, the next thing. The next question I had, um, okay, just to add something about Byron. As I said, uh, I had the interview with Marco Pesic, and this interview will be published probably on, on Tuesday. One hour long uh, interview. He said a lot of interesting things about how they see this project. Uh, just like you know, this famous quote from the movie Moneyball that if you play um, in this room like Yankees, you will lose them on, on the field uh, the same way. Uh, so they have to think out of the box to do some uh, different decisions to create s s such an environment to keep these players, although they are getting way bigger offers in other teams. And that's what Marco Pesic explained me. And he also said what was interesting that he also said that they are building the new gym, which should be uh, ready to uh, to have uh, to accommodate Bayern Munich team not in during the next season but season 2023-24 it will be it will have around uh, capacity of 12,000 people and he said some cool things which is for sure we're talking about the probably the most innovative arena in Europe we have for example I was so surprised that as a not only season ticket holder but if you bought a ticket if you will buy a ticket for for Bayern's game for Bayern's future games uh, like one hour and a half before you will get the GPS advices how to reach the arena and to avoid the traffic. Uh, you will see the seat on arena map on your mobile phone and you can even pre-order some stuff like food or, or, or some drinks uh, for ah, the game time. The NBA is coming to Europe exactly, 10 exactly. years later. And although it will be the arena for hockey team as well, uh, it will be so innovative that 
like almost like clicking one button in six hours, it will change. These uh, stands will move to make it as a basketball arena. There won't be, you know, such a huge gaps between the court and stands how it usually is with the ice hockey and basketball arenas, uh, uh, let's say. So a lot of cool things uh, are coming, which will help Bayern to grow financially because still so far they cannot uh, compete uh, uh, with a lot of uh, powerhouses, you know, offering these contracts and keeping their players. Although extension with Lucic, extension with Bob is a huge recognition for Bayern Munich because all these players can get way more money in other clubs, but they, uh, they appreciate what uh, other things they can offer uh, great environment inside the team great player development amazing medical facilities we know that during the off season even Kobe Bryant was uh, often uh, coming to Munich or LeBron James is coming to Munich you know to uh, to do some things to, to keep their body he- healthy for the season uh, they're providing a lot of support for families for kids I mean Munich is a great city, one of the best cities in the world, actually, by all these uh, parameters. So that's what uh, Bayern is doing. That's what their culture is all about. For example, I was surprised that Marco Pesic said that the, probably it was the first day when he came to Munich to work for Bayern. It was in 2011. And... Um, it, in one of his, he was still in the hotel and Stefano Hamann, I think that he played for, for that Bayern Munich team from the beginning, because if you remember, Munich started from the second division. Yeah. So Stefano Hamann uh, came and offered Marco, you know, to drive him around with his friend around the city because Pesic didn't know anything about Munich. He comes to the car, uh, he takes the front seats and he see Bastian Schweinsteiger as a driver. And Schweinsteiger for three hours he was uh, driving him through the let's say best places of Munich telling him you know where's the kindergarten or school where he likes to bring his family where he likes to go to what kind of restaurants what can Munich offer and he was just doing you know being honest you know and trying to be helpful for new let's say Bayern family uh, members and I think that Schweinsteiger was uh, often seen in, in Barnes uh, Arena yes, during some he's a games. Fan. Yeah, he's a basketball fan. Thomas so, Müller as well is one, yeah, one of yeah. the basketball fans. And we see all these, you know, top Bayern front office people from the football club, uh, club also coming to this game. So that left him a huge impression, and that's how he wants. Uh, that's how he sees building the basketball project. And he said that usually in Europe it's like this: you pay somebody 400,000 euros and to want, you know, to give it back uh, by your performance. And he said that, no, this is our duty to do everything uh, to maximize his potential and to help him, you know, to, let's say, succeed that worth of his contract. So a lot of good examples by Bayern and it's not surprising why we're seeing all these results, having not only such a smart general manager, but also the great head coach Andrea Trinchieri, amazing and very creative sports director Daniela Bayes and all these people who are working for the club. Nice. So, yeah. Lots of good words for Bayern, but obviously we're sending Barca to the Final Four. Yeah, and the only question I have for you, uh, do you have any concerns over, let's say, longer term Barca title hopes for uh, maybe this series kind of, let's say, give you any concerns if they can succeed winning the EuroLeague? Nope, it doesn't have anything to do with it. One mm. thing doesn't really impact the other. The final four, it's one yeah. game. It's El Clasico. Probably. They, yeah, that's what we anticipate. Well, I mean, if they yeah, go yeah, to yeah, the yeah, final four, yeah. if they don't go, then there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. But if they do, it's El Clasico. How many times did they beat Real Madrid in a row? I think that 12 from 15. A and in a row, times. I don't remember. A like lot four of times. Five. They, yeah. they, they won a Copa del Rey final. 
So I don't see any reason why they shouldn't do it again. And then in the final, it's one game. Ergen Ataman is already waiting them. <laughs> I know that Ergen's waiting. I know that he he already knows who are the champions. Basically, it's pointless to even have the final four, but let's give it a shot anyway. I don't see any concerns for Barca in, in longer distance, honestly, because what could be the difficulties? Okay, the final four, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It can be decided by one shot. ACB finals... In the best of five series, I still don't have any arguments for Real Madrid at the moment, even though they did a great job against Maccabi in the best of five. You have to predict Barca. Mm. And I'm not really that concerned. Yeah, it happened me too. last season with Zenit. Yeah. They still won the semifinal against Milan. They lost, of course, against the great Anadolu Efes team, but... It's about getting to the final four. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Mm, I agree. And yeah, usually at the end of the season, I mean, the way they're winning games is not sexy at all. And even in Lithuania, he has not just saying haters, but skepticals of the style, uh, the way well, Barcelona is playing. points with such talent on uh, offense, as you said, is a criminal. But at the end of the day, we see them winning Copa del Rey, ACB season and the first year making the EuroLeague finals, then the second year winning Copa del Rey. So, so let's just wait, you know, for the final picture of the season. But jumping to into uh, other series, that's where I already mentioned Ergin Ataman and his crazy statements. He's like Muhammad Ali of basketball, you know. He already said that uh, they're winning back-to-back uh, title and he's only two wins away from, from winning it. But tell me, are you as convinced about FS as Mr. Ataman is? Well, I'm not as convinced as I was, let's say, last year. They're, they're still not playing as good as they did in the championship season. I mean, <sighs> I would want to see FS against Milan with their full roster. Mm. If everyone's healthy. And I without COVID, just before the playoffs. Without COVID, without injuries, I would like to see a healthy Olympia team against this Anadolu Efes. Because they they closed the series at home. They did what I expected from them. But th- those were difficult games. Even though uh, Milan reached Istanbul with so many injuries, without Nicolo Melli, without Malcolm Delaney, Rodriguez was questionable. He did play. Um, they were really competing and they found guys stepping up in, in game three. It was Jarayan Grant in game four. It was Gigi Datome out of nowhere. Yeah. Out of nowhere, he was just points. scoring points, 21. And they were kind of close to at least winning one game in Istanbul. And game five in Mediolan Forum, who knows what could have happened. Mm. So it's a relief, obviously, for Ataman and Anadol Efes that they made it to the final four. They closed the series at home, but... Mm, both games in Milan were kind of ugly in mm. both games at home they didn't really find the, their rhythm they had to rely on Tibor Plyce scoring a bunch of points to actually win Tibor so, Plyce is the next factor of FS. So, so there's no shame for Messina and the team that they lost the series knowing all these circumstances always when you're thinking about the playoff series you just you're just as a basketball fan so desperate to see both teams playing at their full mm. equal cap- conditions capabilities with everyone being healthy. So it's, it's just kind of sad what happened w- with all these important players f- for Milan. But 
And Adol Efes repeating the title run. Why not? It's the final four, as I said. You need to win two games. Yeah. Ataman is right. But I'm still... F- I still think they were better last season than they are right now. I still think they played better basketball. Mm, but as a sixth seed, you go to the final four, what more can you ask for? Yeah, and they have this backward superstar level talent with Vasile Mitsis and Shane Larkin. And with these superstars, you can expect any results. Well, uh, they would actually. love to see Monaco probably winning the series. I think Olympiakos is... Uh, more difficult matchup for FS because they have walk up mm-hmm. and all the others potential that lockdown they're shown defenders. that they can defend very well against elite players mm-hmm. so uh, I think Ataman would prefer to have an open game with Monaco could be but he's he He's not in a position to choose. He's, well, he's already confident that whatever it uh, goes course, to the semifinal, he, he, he will win course. it. Anyway, they, they're in the final four, so you could say they already saved the season. Because the huge question was, will they make it to the playoffs at all? It, it was a small question, well, but the with, final four was a huge with question. With the really. Russian teams involved, it was yeah. a big question. Yeah, okay. After, they were a borderline playoff team. After yeah, the decision the was made, it, it was more obvious that they mm. are making it to the playoffs. But then again, you were thinking, are they going to be the fifth seed? Are they going to be the sixth seed? Who are they going to face in the, in the playoff series? And they let's say, faced Milan at the best possible time. And for the worst possible time. Worst possible time for Messina. Mm. It's a pity. Really, we could have had a great five-game series. Of course, better team won. Of course, they were better. You have to say that. The the main thing uh, about their championship hope is that it would be funny uh, to to see them winning with these superstars, the backcourt, they, in any situation, they still deserve to win it. But at the same time, it would be so unfair. I mean, just as we talked, I mean, being a borderline playoff team, mo- more or less for the second year in a row, basically wasting this regular season. I mean, FS winning the title would be so unfair for the regular season and for the all the competition before the <laughs> final four, really. <laughs> It, I mean, al- last year already, it was some kind of an exception, you know, them just sleeping uh, for the almost full regular season. Now it was even worse. Yeah. There was even no quality. Uh, I mean, less quality than it was uh, last year. And personally, I believe that there's a more cha- there's more chance that they will lose it when win it because just as we we talked last year, except from Larkin and Misic, they had Kruno Simon. He was averaging... Nine, nine points in the playoffs. Even Singleton stepped up. S- uh, eight points. Bob Wah, he was 15 point per game player in the playoffs. Mm. Now Bob Wah was injured. He didn't, almost didn't even play uh, just in the beginning of the series. And I think that his performance index rating was two combined. Then we had Kruno Simon. I think he w- was mi- minus one. Uh, Singleton, he, he combined for 13 performance index rating. And... Ply stepped up. He was averaging around 13 points, and especially in the game and uh, three and four, he, he scored 17 and then 25. He, he became something like a Sertat Shanli of mm-hmm. the last year's FS, and he was super important, uh, stretching the floor. He, he made a lot of three-pointers in, in this series. But other than that, except from three, these three guys, nobody else scored at least more than five points per game, and they really lacking of this supporting cast for Mitsich and Larkin. But you have to say that they played without Bobois yeah, both games. 
Bobo should be healthy for the final mm. four, but still, you know, final four is going to be organized earlier, and let's see how he will uh, recover from that in injury. But anyway, even Bobois is not so solid, not as solid as he was last year. So I fully agree with Shares. Uh, being angry at his players and you know having to cope with this game five because as he said that guys don't realize uh, how what kind of opportunity they have because in my eyes this final four will be weaker than the last year's final four. FS is not as talented. Real past few months they had so many problems. Olympiacos, okay, they're, let's say, they're more not solid, there yet. But they're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, Monaco is a different beast. And, you know, compared to what they have last year, a very super solid uh, FS team, Milan was healthy. They had Kevin Punter. They they put uh, Barcelona on, on, on heels. And then, you know, Ceska is always a very dangerous opponent. I think that's what Charles actually had in his mind, that this is a golden opportunity to finally win it. Not just because they were the best team in the regular season, but the competition is different than it was last year. Anyway, I have to give credit to Vasa Mitsic. Uh, he was playing hurt in the first two games in Milan. He was not himself. In both games at home, he was really consistent. Shane Larkin, for example, he was kind of off in game three, but then in game four, again, he stepped up with his shooting. He was playing a lot of minutes. In both games, he averaged 37 minutes. That's okay. That's a lot. Uh, but Vasa Mitic was really very consistent, as I said. Tibor Plais being the difference maker. Ataman found some solutions, decisions, and Plais averaging 21 points per two games. It just shows what really size can do when you, at the same time, have shooting skills. Yeah. Milan is a team that usually plays these small lineups. And it could be a nightmare when a giant like Tibor Plies starts making shots from the paint, also popping, shooting his three pointers. And Tibor was really amazing in in both of these, both of these games. But I'm still showing a lot of respect to Milan. Mm. They competed. They were close. They went there, uh, believing that they can actually steal one game and bring the series back to Mediolanum Forum. And there's no shame in losing the way they did. No, both. both they deserve a lot of respect. Both games great. Game f game free. Uh, I know it's frustrating when you're the third seed. Mm. You have of the course, it's frustrating. With all the you lose the consequences series, but of the it injuries. is what it is. I think they can rebuild and next season be even better because this year Milan maybe they made some mistakes with some signings. Uh, they, they focused on death, but at the same time, in the crucial moments of the season, they were lacking of star power at they the backcourt, especially. Some quality, definitely, and because they were so dependent on Devon Hall. And Shields. Uh, and Shields, right. And Shields on his one-on-one right. -on -one game, and he missed all these shots in game four. Bring Kevin Punter in, in, in this picture, and it's a different ballgame. Yeah, it could have been a different game, because, for example, that's what happened in game three. It, the game was tied with less than four minutes to play, then Shane Larkin scores eight points. Anyway, that's, that's it. I mean, that's uh, what decides the playoff games in these tie series. Anyway, the, what we're hearing is that they're already building for the future. That's they're true. They're already signing Kevin Pangos. Yep. And there are rumors about Brandon Davis. Yep. So it's that's a two super. It should be an moves. easy rebuild because obviously they have money. There are some veterans on this team. Let's be realistic. Some of them should leave the team after the season. So signings like Pangos, Davis, this is instant success in the EuroLeague. These are proven players. And they're adding these pieces that they were 
kind of missing. Okay, they had Chacha and Delaney, but Chacha is aging. Delaney, he also said that he was it was his last full season in Europe, so they had some they needed some fresh legs. Kevin Pangos before he left for the NBA, he was arguably the best point guard after Vasilya Mitic uh, in the Euro general. Yeah, true floor general, I mean. But as, as he he can decide games by himself as well. We saw all these, you know, ISO moves uh, playing uh, uh, for Zenit, but he's And Davis If you have centers, Davis and Heinz, the things you can do defensively. <laughs> and offensively, because Davis is probably the best all-around center in the early. He adds a lot of quality on offense with his post moves and everything. That's what actually Milan were missing. I mean, they were one of the last teams in uh, post-up uh, points uh, this year. And, you know, with Heinz, if the Terzuski is, is a different story. Now, Hi- Davis, Heinz, it's probably the best center yeah. lineup you can imagine. They will need some other moves still. I don't know how the Mitoglu situation will probably he's work out. out. I think he should be out because it's stopping. It's serious shit. Yeah. So they will need a power forward. You need to okay. They have, have Melly, but so you, you have need to have a backup for Nicola yeah. Melly. You need to have somebody. And this power forward position is tricky because except from Mirotic, uh, Vezenkov, and Melly. Do you see any stars? That's why there are rumors about Johannes Voitman. Yeah, so they don't need a superstar. Yeah. Nicolo Melli is one of their key players. You don't need a superstar. Yeah. If you sign, like, okay, Voitman, he can play four and five. In some situations, he can play as a center. He stretches the floor. He's an ideal backup for a guy like Nicolo Melli because he has a lot of good qualities. So... The, the thing is that many teams will be looking for the power forward, but and that's what's very, very interesting. Because but since the we're talking about the backup, narrow. we're not talking about the main power forward, we're talking about the backup. You can yeah. sign Augie Rubit, for example, and he could be a decent backup. Why not? Uh, could be, could be. It's going to sound strange, but even a player like Tyler Cavanaugh from mm. Ralgiris could be a good backup, a good backup for Nicola Melli. Maybe. You don't maybe. need a star. You just need a solid role player. Yeah, there. I actually tried to do this list of you know potential nice stretch fours, and the list is not really long. But I have also. Uh, I was thinking about. Give me a second. I just had this list. I think that I f- even think that Nigel Hayes would be in the conversation with his defensive skills and potential to make the basket if there's no pressure behind the sidelines. I would love to see uh, Boston Celtics like team on defensively, uh, for example, with. Kyle Hines being the center, Nigel Hayes being a small forward, having also a very tall point guard. You could be... Well, Milan is already the best defensive team in the league this season. And if, if you add more size, let's say in the third position, more power, they can be even better. Messina basically wins games by defense. Offensively, they're playing very simple. It's just usually ISO basketball. It's very simple. Yeah, he, he's putting them in good situations. He has no, all these tricks. He, I'm not saying they're he relies playing, uh, individual talent more than before. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, I'm not saying they're playing bad, but yeah. it, they're playing simple. Maybe that's the reason why they struggled a little bit in the second part of the season by with scoring. They really had problems scoring. But usually, it's about the defense and the general idea for Messina's team right now is brought from the NBA, you need to have size, you need to have players that can switch, you need to have players that are very physical, which is why they're signing Davis, which is why they have Heinz. And if you add Nigel Hayes, I wouldn't be surprised if they sign Nigel Hayes as a small forward. Mm. And then you play Shields yeah. at the second position, and then you say to your opponents, well, good luck. Mm. 
try and beat us. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about uh, Maccabi and the way they should rebuild if they actually, if that's actually the case? Because probably there's not a lot to add about this Real series. Yeah. It was a very disappointing, let's say, performance of Maccabi, the approach uh, for the playoffs. I, I expected at least one win at home. At home with yeah. all these emotions, but maybe one win, yeah. but no. It went just the same like in first two games. It was one-way victory and it was super terrible of my take. It, choosing, you know, Maccabi or Real Madrid. A very disappointing you series. Know, I, I'm kind of not surprised because, you know, I knew that it was a risky move. But I just hope that Maccabi will lose the advantage of bad momentum for Real Madrid. But, you know, what they well, did I in the playoffs. I predicted a five-game series, even though the outcome was Madrid winning, but it was far from being a five-game series. I said that Madrid, to win those games, they need to keep Maccabi under 80 points. They did it all three times. And on all three occasions, Maccabi couldn't keep Madrid under, let's say, 87, 86. So three relatively easy wins for Real Madrid. Very poor shooting for Maccabi in game three at home. Gershania Boselli absolutely dominating. Once again, proving he's top three on the power forwards list right now in Europe alongside Mirotic and Yeah. Uh, rebuild for Maccabi? Well, come on. It starts from the head coach. That's clear. That's clear. After that, I've you make decisions. And if the head coach, let's say, is Xavi Pasquale, he's a coach that knows exactly what he needs. He's a no-brainer, yes. Yeah, if, if, you, if he, he can bring on the Xavi, table, no question. He's coming in. He already has a clear idea which players he needs, which, which players he wants to replace, what players he needs to sign. Again, it's one of the options, Xavi, I don't know, they probably should have some other candidates, but uh, right now it's kind of difficult to talk about the rebuild, about rebuilding the roster. The roster itself is not that bad. They just need more depth. They have quality. But it all starts from the coach and his philosophy. Um, so far in Israeli media, it was reported that basically uh, Xavi and Trinquieri are the top targets. Of Th these Maccabi. are very good targets. These are very good targets. The problem is that if they will be actually available because yes. uh, Xavi Pascal, he has a long-term contract with Zenit. The thing is that we are not sure if Russian teams will be back to EuroLeague. Probably not. But at least from what I was hearing that Zenit were ready to bring incredible, impossible money just to keep Xavi because you never know what will go, what will happen in one year and to have uh, Xavi in your team working uh, for further fourth season already and, uh, you know, Keeping on, on track with this great coach, it's the best thing you can do. And if it takes you to uh, put not 1.5, but maybe 2.5 or 3 millions uh, per year, that probably will even make, you know, Chave consider if I should leave or not. So that's still uh, unclear if he will be the free agent because he's under the contract. Mm -hmm. Then we have Trinquieri. Trinquieri is on, on a contract. Uh, on He has a contract for the next year with Bayern too. And I thought that... Bayern is a team which couldn't do anything with some big clubs coming and buy, um, paying a buyout and just getting their best pieces out. But from the interview, I was a bit surprised how Marco Pesic was convinced that there's no way, or at least he said that there's no way they will let Trinquieri go because this is the investment they made. The contract was signed and we're doing everything in their power to make uh, Trinquieri feel comfortable. And, you know, they will help him to, let's say, increase his uh, stock markets for the uh, year when his contract will be expiring. And from, from Pish's side there, I understand 
I mean, you can pay you can pay Bayard one million euro buyout. What you will do with that buyout if Trinquet is out, Chavi is not available. So what you will have to uh, sign, let's say, less talented coach. And if he will repeat the success, hell no, probably no. Especially with this coaching market, it's 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 really tough. And that's what actually he mentioned about uh, Malcolm Delaney when he was playing for Bayern in season two thousand thirteen and fourteen, I think. Houston Rockets approached Bayern in like March and they put 1 million euro buyout for Bayern just to get them free. They said no. They increased the buyout. They still uh, didn't let him go because the transfer deadline was passed and they said that, hey, listen, the lane is out. We're not winning the German championship. And even with that kind of money, what what we will do? So This is smart. So, you know, we have these questions about Trinquieri, about Xavi, and if not them, who else is on the market? I don't know. It's tough. Well, then, but the thing then you is, need to be creative. But you cannot stay with this. I mean, with all the respect to Avi Evan, but let's keep what he was doing before being a player development coach and being the head of scouting department. I mean, he did an amazing job in these couple of months making a Maccabi a playoff team and using the advantage of the situation. And let's say bringing back belief and confidence in that uh, team because... Bebianis probably it was the problem that he was too disciplined with this team and this team didn't need so much discipline let's say or they felt bad with this uh, under uh, th- that discipline with Aveven it was uh, it was more free flowing basketball and it was a bi- best fit for Maccabi but going forward you have to be smart you have mm-hmm. to look for the good strategy uh, solutions and I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you cannot achieve anything with a great coach if you're let's say mid-level market team as Maccabi is with their uh, money they're spending on salaries net and so far. And they're, you know, on a very close level to Bayern. They're, they can spend more, they can pay for the players more. But still, we're talking about this borderline playoff team. And we, we saw these examples of Zvezda. If you have less money, there's one way how you, you can compete. Now we are watching this Bayern's example. It's just impossible to put, let's say, coach who you don't feel very confident with and to expect some big results. I mean, the good coaches, they are game changers and I would start investing from the head coach and even then I would go with the with talent, let's say. Of course, you must have a good coach. You're not going to have a superstar team. Maccabi right now, they're not in a position to rebuild the team by signing Larkin, Davis, and some other European yeah. superstars. So it all starts from the head coach. But, but the bigger question is, what do you do with Scotty Wilbekin, for example? He he still is on a contract for the next year, but do you feel confident with him as a franchise player? I'm keeping Scotty, I'm keeping Nunnally, I'm keeping Zizic, I'm keeping Williams. All the others should be reconsidered. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, okay, you let Scotty Wilbekin go. What is the re- who is the replacement? Uh, like I said, you're not signing Shane Larkin, <sighs> so wh- who you're going to replace Scotty Wilbekin with? Another you have Israeli league player that had some nice stats. It might not work out. No, you have to be creative, and probably you have to reorganize the understanding. Understanding how you approach wins. Well, unless Maccabi style. I mean, the players were changing, coaches were changing. Okay, Yanis made some adjustments. More or less, always it was very offensive, mind and team. And uh, I would really con- reconsider, you know, the whole approach in this. Unless a coach like Chavi Pasquale has a requirement on his list that Scotty Wilbekin is not the player that he needs, I'm keeping him. 
Um, he's still a very good player, a very talented player, injury prone, maybe sometimes inconsistent. And uh, Robicon? Yeah, Robicon. I think I think he didn't miss a lot of games. Actually, I think this season, yeah, but in the previous seasons, he always had those nagging. I think I think you're. Injuries. In the previous seasons, he played can, 35 games this year. Last year, 34. To the COVID season 26 because it was COVID mm. season and then 29. Okay, maybe you're I just remember something. him all the time twisting his ankle and finishing oh, maybe, games. Maybe on, he was on, not on one playing leg. his full speed, let's say. Yeah. Okay, maybe. But um, anyways, I would keep him. And I mentioned all the other names that I would keep. And then you need to add some quality on the bench. You need a deeper roster. This Maccabi team wasn't really deep. Uh, again, they made the playoffs, but when you watch the series, it looked like they do not belong in the playoffs, to be honest, mm -hmm. the way they performed against uh, Real Madrid. So to make the playoffs is one thing, to compete in the playoffs is something different. And a coach like Xavi Pasquale could make them oh, competitive. Not only making the playoffs, doesn't matter, eighth seed, seventh seed, sixth seed, whatever. But when you go in into the series with Xavi, you know that there will be plan A, plan B, plan C, all the way to letter W. And yeah, and rebuilding is easier when you have a great coach. I'm I'm have big doubts about Scotty Wilbican. I'm I'm fighting, you know, with myself thinking about his, let's say, impact on, on, on this team. But but okay, you have doubts. It's normal. He's a little bit inconsistent. There, there the are a lot of things. Who could be the replacement, realistically? But that's the problem. You don't think, you do not need to think about the replacement for Scott if Wilbekin. You have to think about the different approach how you uh, build your team. But it's impossible to have a winning of team in modern basketball without uh, point guard or the shooting guard being I mean, your Bayern best players. Made the playoffs actually with Darren Hillard being in and out all the season as their main scorer. Of, and they had Lucic, who was very important both on and off the court, and other players. But it was more, let's say, Equally but talented team. How can you team. build a team not starting from a point guard? This is the creator. This is where it all. That's why I from. think that Scotty Wilbekin is more of a shooting guard than a point guard. I would like to see him, um, let's say, more disciplined and def better defender next to him if I want to co uh, continue with Wilbekin. Well, then you need a really tall point guard. Exactly, and we don't have many tall, solid point guards. We just talked about Nick Weiler, Bob. I'm I'm talking about Maccabi money, not like uh, Vasily Mitic style of players, but we had like. Weiler Babb, maybe there was Thomas Wolkop, that's why Maccabi were after him the last summer. Who else? It's Nate Walters was a nice fit to to Wilpikan. No, he wasn't very that successful probably in Maccabi, but I mean that kind of uh player. I don't think Wilbekin is really a problem here. I I'm completely satisfied with how he's playing. I just think that he's not efficient enough in offense to mm. overcome his defensive drawbacks. And with Wilbekin leading the team, you kind of, you know, put yourself in a tunnel of the way you can play. So for Maccabi, it's it's tough because we we mm, put high expectations for Maccabi just because they're Maccabi and of their history. But uh, budget-wise, they're in the middle of the EuroLeague standards. But the thing is that in the last six years, they made the playoffs only this year and, you know, with the exclusion of three Russian teams. Maccabi, they will always be an American-driven team. I don't remember a Maccabi team that that was not investing most of their money to a point guard. Always it was about the point guard, the ball handler. It, it's not necessarily a point guard, it's a guard, a ball handler, a creator. 
every season they had one, every time they had success, it was about the ball handlers. Tyrese Rice was the last guy that actually led them to the yeah. championship and winning the final four. I cannot see Maccabi being a team without a very skilled playmaker, point guard, ball handler, whatever, shooter. So Scotty Wilbekin fits the profile. And since, as you said, they're a mid-budget team, mid-level budget team, and they're not signing Larkin, they're not signing Pangos, they're not signing Misic, they're not signing any of these superstars in Europe. I think be careful what you wish for, because if you release Scotty Wilbekin and don't replace him with anybody... You won't find anything as close equal to as him. So close to him, on. no. It's just the matter of your philosophy, how you build the team. Let's not overthink this rebuild. I think it's easier than it looks like. I think you just need a deeper roster and a better coach. Could be, could be. Yeah, I mean, I for sure I would give a shot, uh, one more shot for Scotty if there was Xavi Pascal or Andrea Trinkieri because these these are the coaches who can, you know, use their advantages to the maximum and, you know, hide all these disadvantages. So yeah. that's the next thing. Although, for example, from Wilbekin's perspective, if Larkin is leaving FS, I think it would be interesting fit next to Vasily Misic. I really think that he's, let's say, closest skill-wise to Shane Larkin. The level yet? Let's wait and see. You know, if he deserves mm -hmm. that spot. For sure, Larkin is, in my eyes, is a better player. But playing next to Vasily Misic in a more winning team, I would really love to see Wilbekin in that kind of uh, role. So for FS, if Larkin is leaving, that would be, let's say interesting uh, decision how to replace Larkin. By saying that Wilbekin is closest skill-wise to Shane Larkin, did you on purpose omit Mike James or what? Oh, Mike James. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say he's top three guy uh, or the second most ready after Mike James because I wish that he would stay in Monaco. That's, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Although, as we mentioned before, Mike James and Ergen Ataman would be a hell of the team in one place so yeah that's that's all about Maccabi right what about Real Madrid winning I mean who could have thought that Real will be the first team who will make the final four nobody probably and Barcelona in everyone's eyes was the clear favorite to sweep their opponents and this El Clasico potential El Clasico in the semifinals one game you never know Copa del Rey was a very tough game until Jokobaitis showed up Jokobaitis now, except from game one, he's not delivering, let's say, or he's playing just as probably the average 21-year-old guy would play in the uh, playoff series. Well, the Real Madrid, they're back. They're back in the Final Four. They're back where they belong. They were used to playing in a Final Four every season. It was kind of strange last year when there was no Real Madrid in the Final Four. And Overcoming all these obstacles or all these difficulties, they made it. But honestly, they were so lucky to finish fourth, not third. Mm. Got to play Maccabi instead of Ephes. Yeah, the luck was on their side. I'm not so sure if they they could beat Ephes in best of five right now. But Maccabi, we saw all these advantages they had and they used them and they won all three games quite comfortably so but the final four when you're in the final four experience plays a big part of it 
before the season, I, I had this crazy prediction. I said Real Madrid will be the champions because as long as they make it to the final four with these experienced guys, they will know how to handle the pressure and won a single, win a single game. It's kind of difficult to stick with that prediction right now. But again, after this series, they should have their confidence back. They should be happier than they were when they were losing games in EuroLeague in ACB and all these Artel Tompkins situations happened. In one game, they can beat anybody in Europe, let's be real. I mean, Sergio Yul still has mm. it in him to play at least yeah, one good game. Exactly. Against Maccabi in the closing game, he was great. In Actually, in the whole series, he was good. Mm. So, you cannot rule out Madrid. I mean, it's easier for them to win the EuroLeague than to win the ACB League because it's the best of five series against Barca, probably. In EuroLeague, you need to win two basketball games. One El Clasico and the final against FS, Oli, or whatever. So it's easier, actually, to win the EuroLeague for them than the Spanish championship. Before we end, what do you think, I don't know if you saw it, what do you think about the greatest Maccabi all-time five chosen by Maccabi fans on Instagram? So I will start the list with guards. Go for it. Or let's say, okay, I'm going from the point guard position. Shona Sesikavichus. Berkovic, Parker, Anthony Parker, Kaspi, and Schwarzenitis. Schwarzenitis, yeah, Sophocles. What, the, what's what, wrong what, with you, Maccabi fuck? fans? What the fuck, man? <laughs> I was so surprised. Nikola Vucic had two triple doubles in, in, in One of the greatest centers in all, of all time in the early and history. Kaspi, what actually did he do? I, I was so surprised. I was really surprised. I would easily have Vujicic and even probably David Blue <sighs> instead of uh, Kaspi. I love Sofo, really. Yeah, he's, he's an amazing guy. Nice, he's such a nice guy. But Nikola Vujicic is, is in a conversation of, of being the best center that's in the modern EuroLeague. Yeah. Nikola Vujicic. Is it because he's the GM of the team and that's why fans are angry on him? I don't Maybe. know. I have no other explanation. Two triple doubles. Crazy. It's the only guy except from Nikolaitis who did the triple-double. It's impossible in, in EuroLeague to have a triple-double. Nikola Jokic of EuroLeague. It's literally impossible to have a triple-double in the EuroLeague. The man had two, and in one, on one occasion he's, he was probably close to a quadruple-double or something. Easily, know, probably, Come easily. On, he was such a great center. He was so ahead of his time with these skills. Uh, my God. Uh, That's disappointing as their playoff series, I have to say, really. Wow. You can be better than that, wow. Maccabi fans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Maybe there's a reason behind it. I don't know. Yeah, so this week, two decisive decisive games, Barca, Bayern tomorrow on Tuesday, and then uh, on Wednesday we'll have Olympiacos Mon Monaco. Exciting time to be a basketball fan, as I said. We'll and try to follow the Euro Cup action at least oh, yes. a little bit. Andorra, oh, yes. Bursa playing tomorrow on Wednesday is Valencia Virtus. Even though these games clash with each other, we'll find a way to at least follow the action a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So see you next week, probably. And thanks all for watching. Follow us on basketnews.com. By the way, our exclusive uh, EuroLeague Playoffs partner is NordVPN. Fastest VPN services, uh, which can unlock, unlock uh, for example, FIBA Champions League games on YouTube channels. Or if you're a Formula 1 fan, you can even use the Belgium or Aus Austrian VPNs. Uh, right. Um, 
to to watch these uh, broadcasts on their Belgium or Austrian TVs who uh, show it on uh, for free. A lot of other good features you will find on nordvpn.com slash or bonus with a great, great uh, deal because monthly price uh, for this subscription is something close to uh, a single cup of coffee. So it's, it's worth it. If you don't like it, there's a 30-day free trial. So you won't regret it nordvpn.com slash urbonus promo code urbonus also gets you some good offers thanks and see you soon